0: everyone, I'm Debbie Roberts, owner and financial advisor at Property Apprentice. Join me today for the week in review where I'll talk about current events for the everyday investor and home buyer. Our topics for this week: Topic number one from News Hub on the 29th of November, boom to bust, building sector liquidations on the rise, leaving home buyers worried. Topic number two from interest.co.nz on the 30th of November, continuous disclosure. Think mortgage rates are high now? Economist Tony Alexander warns of a 9.5% peak. Topic number three, from landlords.co.nz on the 29th of November, cash is king for underground landlords. Topic number four, stuff on the 29th of November, raising the New Zealand super age would cause financial misery for over 65s, Retirement Commissioner says. And fifth topic for this week in review, interest.co.nz. 28th of November, no significant drop in the average amount first-home buyers are borrowing or paying for a home. So first up this week from Newshub on the 29th of November, boom to bust, building sector liquidations on the rise, leaving home buyers worried. Concerns are emerging from first-home buyers after the number of builders in liquidation has surpassed numbers from 2021. A couple who wish to remain anonymous have told Newshub that they're worried that their life savings are gone, after purchasing one of 82 apartments in Te Auckland. They bought the two-bedroom Dawn Park development in July 2021, hoping to have keys in hand a year later. The couple watched and recorded their findings, as more and more materials were being taken from the building site, and they have not received a proper response since May from the developer. Treasure Plus Limited, the vendor, didn't immediately respond to Newshub's multiple requests for comment, But those who did speak to News Hub said they're moving into a bust cycle. Numbers reported by Enby show that liquidations under the building industry are increasing. There were more than double the number of liquidations in July and August compared with the same months in 2021. And November numbers have already far exceeded the previous year. The sunset clause for Dawn Park developments will have been triggered on Wednesday, which should give buyers the chance to get out but they're likely to be locked in until November next year because in their contract that clause can be extended by 12 months at the vendor's discretion. On Tuesday, the developer told NewsHub that Treasure Plus has faced several challenges in the past few years and they want to apologise for the delay in the project. Builders will be back on site this week and buyers can expect to see progress over the next six months. I'm sure that all of those buyers are waiting with bated breath to see some progress on that on that project my advice is that if you're buying off the plans make sure that you do your homework on the developer before you go into a contract and get your solicitor to check your contract as well before you sign it, just to make sure that the terms and conditions aren't too heavily weighted in favor of the developer google the developer as well because some developers have unfortunately previously folded up companies, and um, gone into liquidation and then restarted under a different name. So Google the companies that you're working with. Second topic for this week in review, interest.co.nz from the 30th of November. Continuous disclosure. I think mortgage rates are high now. Economist Tony Alexander warns of a 9.5% peak. Independent economist Tony Alexander is forecasting that the floating mortgage rate could go as high as 9.5% by the middle of next year and one- and two-year fixed mortgages are going to stay higher for longer. Last week, the Reserve Bank increased the official cash rate by 75 basis points to 4.25%, the highest rate since 2008. Alexander said floating rates could head closer to 9.5% next year once the latest cash rate change is factored in, and a further rate rise of another 1.25 basis points to 5.5%, which the Reserve Bank is forecasting. On the other hand, fixed interest rates may not see a similar rise. According to him, the best one-year rate is around 5.9%, and this is unlikely to go beyond 6.5% because the markets have already factored in the OCR rise. He added that trying to pick where mortgage rates are going to peak is useless. Alexander expects rates to stay higher for longer, as he doesn't see a deep recession, similar to the global financial crisis, taking place. Interest rates will fall slower than the rate at which inflation falls. Three to five-year fixed rates could start falling before the middle of next year, as banks anticipate falling interest rates. Markets expect monetary policy to start easing in 2024, and at this point Alexander sees the two, three, five-year fixed borrowing costs falling, And a good chance that banks will be cutting the three to five year fixed rates before the middle of next year. It could take longer for the one and two year rates to fall as well as floating rates. People would adapt to rising interest rates just like they have in the past. He looks back to his experience of paying 18% in interest back in 1987 which was before the OCR was in place. One factor that's different from previous periods of rising interest rates is that at present, there's a labour shortage, which means people can pick up extra work as a form of financial insulation. In the past, the unemployment rate rose very quickly and jobs were not available to provide a financial buffer. But as I've said previously in these podcasts, as long as you're not too fussy about what sort of type of work you want to do, chances are you'll be able to find another job if you are made redundant. Okay, so, you know, we always recommend that you check your cash flow at a higher interest rate than what you're currently getting, just to make sure that you understand what level of risk that you're comfortable with and what level of increase in your cost of mortgage you can sustain. If you're worried about increasing interest rates, get in touch with your mortgage advisor sooner rather than later. We recommend my team. That's miteam.co.nz and get in touch with them if you haven't already got a good mortgage advisor and they will take care of you. If you want to learn more about investing in property, join me at one of our free Beginner's Guide to Property Investment events available live online or in person. Check out propertyapprentice.co.nz for upcoming dates and register today. If you'd like to find out more about how we can help you reach your financial goals, you can also book a no-obligation phone call or meeting with my husband, Paul Roberts, via the website also. That's propertyapprentice.co.nz. And the website address for the mortgage and insurance company is MITeam.co.nz. Okay, and full disclosure, Paul and myself are part owners of that mortgage and insurance company as well. Just letting you know. Third topic this week from landlords.co.nz on the 29th of November, cash is king for underground landlords. New Zealand Property Investors Federation President Peter Lewis is bringing up the issue of some landlords taking rent in cash and not declaring it as income. In most cases, tenants pay their rent in the cash with no tenancy agreement and a bond leaving no record of the tenancy. This leads to problems in resolving disputes. Lewis believes that this is going to become a bigger problem later on after he was called in by the Citizens Advice Bureau to help with some complicated tenancy inquiries. He often finds landlords, particularly those receiving some kind of benefit, are renting out part of their property or another property for cash. If an issue between the landlord and the tenant arises and it's suggested that the Tenancy Tribunal might be the appropriate place to settle the dispute, the tenant often refuses because they fear they might lose their home. Lewis said that the only way underground tenancies come to light is if there was a bond paid, but there's no legal requirement for a landlord to request a bond, although most do. If bans were made mandatory, he still thinks this won't solve the problem because there'll always be rogue landlords. Thankfully, the number of rogue landlords is a lot lower than the number of good landlords. He believes more landlords would be willing to take rent and cash to avoid paying the new tax introduced when the government removed the ability of landlords to use mortgage payments as a deduction against their rental income, so mortgage interest payments as a deduction. Legitimate landlords will start paying for it in the next year's tax returns. Lewis said some landlords will find ways around it by not declaring rent payments, which over time will dilute the amount of tax the government says it will collect under the new rule, plus the extension of the line test to 10 years. According to him, many landlords think that the only way around this problem is a change to a national-led government, as it has promised to reverse the tax rules. Enby states that it is important for landlords to keep records of rent and bonds for seven years after the tax year to which they relate, Keeping records can help tenants and landlords clear up any issues during or at the end of the tenancy. Records can include the tenancy agreement and any variations or renewals of it, property inspection reports, rent, receipts and records, water bills, invoices or records for any work carried out of the property, copies of letters or emails sent to or received from the other person. Tenants should also keep their own records for the rent they've paid even if it is in cash. Bank statements are one way to do this, but it's also good to keep a rent summary spreadsheet. A landlord must give a written receipt for rent when there's no other record available to the tenant. For example, if the tenant pays in cash, receipts must be given either immediately if rent's paid in cash, or within 72 hours if rent isn't paid in cash. A receipt's not legally required when the rent is paid from the tenant's bank account by automatic payment into the landlord's account if the account is only used for the tenancy and any of the landlord's other tenancies. MB says it's a good practice to give a receipt for all payments even if it's not required by law. Rent receipts should include the following information. The address of the rented property or some other way to identify it, such as a reference number. The amount of money received and what it's for the period the rent covers, the day the rent was paid, the name of the person who paid the rent, the signature of the landlord or the person who received the rent. The landlord must give a written statement of rent if the tenant asks for it in writing. The statement must cover the period the tenant asks for. And my personal opinion on this is obviously, you know, getting cash for rent and avoiding the tax rules, that's not a smart move. For anyone who's investing in property, because at any stage the inland revenue can obviously audit you, and they they can see whether you own any properties or not. It's not hard to figure out if someone's uh, actually renting a property but not claiming that in their in their tax returns. So just be very careful. Inland revenue's got a whole team of people that can investigate landlords to make sure they're playing by the rules. So certainly wouldn't recommend that someone um, tried to beat the system by collecting rent in cash. It's not good for the tenants and it's not good for the landlord either. Fourth topic this week in review from staff on the 29th of November, raising the New Zealand super age would cause financial misery for over 65, according to the Retirement Commissioner. New Zealand's Retirement Commissioner Jane Wrightson says Kiwis aren't wealthy enough to cope with a higher pension age. Her predecessors, Diane Maxwell and Diana Crossan, suggested that the age to get the universal state pensions should rise from 65 to 67. Wrightson, however, argues that 40% of people aged 65 and beyond have got no other income besides the New Zealand super. She said even with New Zealand super, one in three people are unsure if they have enough for retirement unless they continue to work past the age of 65. She cautioned that any increase to the age to access New Zealand super will further disadvantage women, Māori and Pacific people. and emphasised that the reason why the retirement system was created was to allow older people to live with dignity and mana and contribute to community and whānau in later life. Natalie Vincent, Chief Executive of the Ngā Tangata Microfinance Not-for-Profit Loan Scheme, observed that there was an increase in the number of over-65s applying for the organisation's last resort loans to pay off high-interest loans. Vincent believes that this reflects the rising cost of living. This is a sign of growing hardship among the over 65s. She added that many of those over 65s have got no means to increase their incomes and are turning to buy now pay latest loans to buy essentials. Most applicants were renters, including in social housing, and were paying 40% to 50% of their super on rent, she said. The call to lift the age of eligibility was seen as a way to combat the rising costs to the taxpayer of funding New Zealand super. Every three years, Tārā Ara Ora, the Retirement Commission, makes retirement policy recommendations to the government. One of their recommendations included the government continuing to fight to close the gender pay gap. One suggested change to KiwiSaver is to include steps to ensure contri- contribution continued for people during parental leave. The Commission also had advised the banks to do more to help Maori and Pacific families into home ownership. It called on the government to lower the means testing for the accommodation supplement benefit. Wrights and believes it's also appropriate to consider paying different amounts to people living alone and those living with other people. She said modifications will be timely, as we're seeing an increase in the amount of New Zealand super required to meet housing costs, a projected increase of renting seniors and the potential of flatting later in life. So I've recently seen that National, who was the political party that, that has talked about increasing the retirement age, I saw an interview where um, where they talked about how it was going to be phased in. So you know, anyone would have 20 years notice before they were going to be increasing that, that retirement age. So it's not going to affect anyone who's, within 20 years of retiring now, if I understood that interview correctly, which I think is good news. You know, if they do increase the retirement age, I absolutely understand the reasons behind that. But I do think it also increases the need for people to contribute to KiwiSaver and to make sure that you're in an appropriate KiwiSaver fund for your situation. So, you know, I spend a good chunk of my time advising our clients at Property Apprentice about the Kiwi saver funds and how to make the most of it, and someone who's who's just entering the workforce now, if you're in the right type of fund and you're contributing a reasonable amount of your income, like whether it's three percent or four percent, by the time you reach the age of sixty seven that is going to really be a huge financial support for you, you know whereas obviously someone who's close to the age of sixty five already they may not even have a Kiwi saver fund because Or if they do have one, the amount in it is going to be minimal. A recent study from Massey University showed that the average amount of money in a KiwiSaver fund by the time people reach the age of 65 at the moment is only $60,000. So, yeah, young people need to start contributing to KiwiSaver as soon as possible so that you can really reap the rewards further down the track. Fifth topic for this week is from interest.co.nz on the 28th of November, no significant drop in the average amount first home buyers are borrowing or paying for a home. Higher interest rates are certainly having an effect on first home buyers, but in some ways they're proving to be the most resilient group among different types of borrowers. The number of sales recorded by the Real Estate Institute in New Zealand from the peak last year has dropped from 8,595 in November 2021 to 4,892 in October 2022. That's a 43% decline in sales. Reserve Bank figures have shown that over the same period, the number of approved mortgages for first-home buyers has fallen by 28%. This suggests that although they are affected by rise interest rates, they remain the more active group in the market compared to investors and owner-occupiers. If we were to take the number of mortgages approved to 1st home buyers each month as a percentage of Real Estate Institute in New Zealand sales as a rough measure of first-time buyers' share of the total housing market, it's risen from 34% in November 2021 up to 44% in October this year. This could mean while there are fewer people becoming homeowners this year, the decline hasn't been as dramatic as some might have expected. There are also surprising details regarding the amount of money first home buyers are borrowing. In November last year, the Real Estate Institute in New Zealand's national lower quartile selling price peaked at six hundred and seventy thousand. By October this year, it had dropped back to six hundred and ten thousand, which is a decline of nine percent. However, over the same period, there was a three percent decline in the average mortgage approved for first home buyers from 587,699, to just 3% drop. The estimated average amount paid for a home by first-home buyers declined by just 2% over the same period. As can be gathered from this data, fewer first-home buyers may be purchasing their homes compared to a year ago, but their activities declined at a much slower rate versus other types of buyers. On the average, they're paying around the same, and are borrowing around the same amount as they were when we still had a booming market. If you'd like to learn more about property investment, join me at one of our free regular training sessions that we offer, either online or in person in our office in Ellerslie in Auckland. They are live training sessions, plenty of opportunities to ask me questions, answer as many of them as possible. Register online for one upcoming session at propertyapprentice.co.nz. And if you'd want to have a no-obligation chat with my husband, Paul, to see how we can help you, you can also book a meeting or phone call with him via our website. That's propertyapprentice.co.nz. See you next week.